hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Hey, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... So welcome to another episode of Queer Money, uh, and uh, where we bring you the best of personal finance for the LGBT community, and as John says, with a slightly rainbow hue. So yes. today we have a, a guest of ours who is a local here in Denver. Uh, he is uh, part of the entertainment world. He's the director at the C Film Center, which is uh, going to be hosting the CinemaQ Film Festival, or Denver's LGBT Film Festival, coming up here in just a week or two, and uh, we'd like to talk to Patrick about this. So, Patrick O'Brien, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. O'Brien with the Denver Film Society. I am uh, the director of development now. Um, I've been there for almost eight years, um, but I've always had a, a hand in a lot of the activities and uh, some of the programming for the uh, CinemaQ brand. Um, especially related to the festival, which you just mentioned, that's going to be here in uh, July 21st through the 24th. Nice. Well, we're excited to have you. And this is sort of a continuation of a podcast that we just recently had with the director, Reed Water. He's um, one of the shorts film directors, and one of his movies is going to be playing at the film festival. And actually, the shorts package is um, the the package that David and I are uh, sponsoring for the um, event. So we're all excited about that. And what we wanted to do is talk with Patrick about – a little bit less about finance, a little bit more about film and the importance of film in, uh, to the queer community um, and you know, the, the value that it adds to our community. So that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. Sure. Sure. So um, I don't, kind of get it started, how, what kind of impact does film have on the, on the queer community, do you think? How do you think it has, has helped or maybe even detracted from our well, cause? No, I, I, I definitely think it's helped. Um, I think what's amazing about um, the queer community, um, or is there so many groups even within that? I mean, LGBTQ, I mean, you can start putting all the acronyms together, but I feel that, you know, it, it is a very wide representation of, you know, of the gay community, queer community. And what's great about that is independent film cannot speak more to all those different stories. And um, I think it's just the way that gets to telling the perspective for all of those, whether you know about them, whether you don't know about them. Even if you're in the, in the queer community or in the gay community, you may not quite have that that knowledge or that you might think that you do. And, um, I just think film being the most accessible art form that's out there, um, it can just really do a, a great job of illustrating that type of uh, story that we have. Yeah, right. absolutely. Do you Have you been able to quantify or, or recognize any impact that Cinema Cube, both the, the, the annual event and the, the monthly event, how that has impacted the community in Denver? Well, I definitely is. I mean, again, the Denver Film Society, we're a nonprofit, and, you know, the C Film Center is, is our home venue. Um, and, you know, it speaks straight to the mission of our organization, which is to provide um, diverse audiences uh, with the opportunity to um, discover film 
through thought-provoking and creative experiences. Yeah. And I think that is something that, you know, uh, the community has definitely gravitated towards. And I see it a lot in not only during Cinema Q, where we have wonderful sponsors, we have so many of the civic and community organizations that are um, representing or dealing with LGBT and, and queer community issues all over the place. And they're constantly not only supporting the festival, they're coming back to us year, uh, uh, excuse me, you know, all the time to host their own events at our theaters to do that kind of stuff. Again, because of the power, I think, of film. Right. And happen. So, you know, we host a lot of nonprofits throughout the year uh, for certain events and the, and the like. So, yeah. Actually, Patrick, why don't you do our listeners a favor and maybe kind of give a little bit of a background of what the C Film Center is and the Denver Film Society and its history. I think that if we could maybe take a look at it, it might help people understand a little bit more about the whole mission and what you guys do. Sure, sure. So um, we're actually celebrating our 39th year as an organization, the Denver Film Society. Uh, started out as a film festival organization with our annual Denver Film Festival, which takes place in November every year. Um, from that, we started a, um, a partnership with uh, you know one of the large cable companies here, Stars Entertainment got us into our first kind of year-round home and everything. So fast forward to five years ago, uh, we came across an opportunity to take over a new a new building with three state-of-the-art theaters uh, right in a very vibrant uh, neighborhood, uh, part of East Colfax here. And uh, again, some benefactors came to, uh, came to us and we were able to own the building now, which a lot of film societies are very envious of, too. That it yeah, yeah, I bet. Great home theater. So we have three screenings. Uh, we have an event space. Uh, we have a full bar and that type of thing. So it's really conducive to uh, really creating a full experience that can happen, you know, from beginning to end. You know, not only films, but meetings, special events, uh, community clubs do special uh, meetings there sometimes, too. So... Um, I think that's one way. Then with the Cinema Cube part of it, um, we've actually started that brand um, 10 years ago. Um, but this will be our eighth um, Cinema Cube Film Festival. Um, but it also does regular screenings throughout the years, uh, out the year, as well as we do the sidebar within the Denver Film Festival each, in, each fall as well. Yeah, that's you know, I think it's very interesting because I'm surprised that you said it was five years ago that you moved to that theater because I, I don't feel like it's been that long. But... East Colfax, at least the last several years, had always had kind of a sketchy um, uh, impression, right? People were always going, oh, East Colfax is, is a sketchy area. But ever since you guys went in there, the, the economy around there just seems to have flourished. Yeah. There's, store, there's uh, bookstores that now, there now, um, tattered covers there now, uh, restaurants and coffee shops. So it's, it's really, really picking up. So I think it's, it speaks to, you know, you, there's oftentimes that debate of, um, you know, the value that, that Nonprofits provide to areas, um, and this I think speaks suits well to it because you, you've really become, um, you know, the nucleus of, of flir the flourishing area right now. Right, we're, we're definitely not your average theater. We yeah. I mean, you're not going to, you know, the types of films I think that we do show with the independent um, the stories that we do that is, that that can really cover a lot of people. You know, and we're a membership based organization too, so. Again, I think that also provides another outlet in the service, you know, to the community at large to show a way to get involved um, and support nonprofits as well. 
Sure. All right. So, well, maybe we'll, we'll come back to that membership uh, at the end. Maybe we'll tell people about what that really involves and and yeah. uh, share. But, um, in all honesty, we have to renew our membership. Ours lapsed. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We've been, as we mentioned to Reed last uh, last time when we recorded a podcast with him, we haven't been attending as many films as we would like because we've been so diligent with our Jeffrey Guy's work. But things are changing for us. But your, your theater does great stuff. Stuff you, and for the memberships that for the people who are members, very often during Oscar season, you guys host um, special screenings of Oscar nominated movies that aren't available anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one of the, the huge perks of that and sometimes there's cost of that an additional cost of that and oftentimes there's not yeah. um, so that's that's pretty cool so david mentioned reed last week when we interviewed him or maybe two weeks ago depending upon when this goes live through the power of the internet um reed mentioned that what got him interested in film was seeing he was in queer film specifically was when he was younger he would always look for even the slightest nuance of there being an LGBT character, specifically a gay character, somewhere in any sort of plot or storyline. Right. And I'm, I'm curious, when he ma made that comment, it really resonated with me because I, it always impacted me when I saw somebody who was, who was queer. Um, and I, I, I remember, I think it was, oh, what was that? Give me a break. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> I remember there was a show of Give Me a Break and, and the, the, the father was – doing some sort of FBI work with another guy and they were being secretive, doing secretive work in the house. And the other guy, the father made a gay joke and the other guy said, well, hey, I'm gay. That's not really cool. And I was like, what? That was, give me a break from the eighties. Right. I'm sure, you know, facts of life kind of touched on it too, but did, how did, um, you know, to you guys, did, did you look out for that? Was that something that was important to you or exciting to you? And not in exciting in a sexual way, but exciting as in like, Hey, I'm not a, a, cre a freak. Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely did for me. I mean, I feel like, number one, I've, I've never been a big blockbuster movie guy. That's just, it's just never appealed to me. So looking back, when I, I think about when I started choosing films to watch on my own and those types of things, it was, you know, end of high school, going into college. And that's really when I started cutting my teeth, I feel like, on, um, on independent film. And, again, yeah, I don't think I was consciously looking for, you know, Queer storylines or those types of things. I think there was an abundance of them anyway, really, um, in, in certain ways. But um, but I think that the independent, more like the foreign language films, kind of had that sensibility that I kind of it drew me to kind of a, a different storyline. And I think the different part just kind of morphed into seeing that they looked at world, the world through kind of a different lens, which right. kind of started building on. As I started, you know, coming out to more of my friends and, you know, ultimately family members and those types of things. So I think that's kind of what I started doing. But I, I will remember the one movie that really kind of did it for me, I think, was Morris. Uh, English film, it starred Rupert Graves and things will be back in the day. And it was about the Edwardian society and the, you know, all the, how repressed it was then. So it's more of that taboo thing. So yeah. you see Live joyously for a, a moment or two was kind of really kind of stuck with me. Still one of my yeah, favorite. you could revel in that. Yeah, I remember when my own private Idaho came out. Everybody was talking about it. It was like there's it's about a gay couple or seemingly gay couple, and you're actually showing that this film festival, which is right, exciting. That, you know, and that's the thing that you'll see through. I think a lot of um, you know a lot of festivals too. They 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 they'll find those important moments in cinema. Um, 
And a lot of them actually do kind of, you know, point back to, you know, a lot of queer stories. My own private Idaho is one. The Silver Queen of the Desert was another one that came out big on the end of, you know, you know circuit and everything like that. So, um, um, the other one we did last year, oh, blank it out. <laughs> but Paris is burning the, the other, you know. Oh, so yeah. For all ones that came out very large, you know, at Sundance and, and Tribeca and even several of those independent films. So, kind of fun to see that, you know, 25, 30 years later that I, I know for me, I was raised in a very, very religious household, and uh, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a subject my family ever talked about. But I knew from a very young age, I knew I was different. And I remember when I was in my late teens, when my parents would go away, uh, and they would be out of town, uh, and my sister wasn't living with us at the time, and I would find a video store many times far far away from where i live but i would find a video store and i would look for movies that had a gay theme to them uh, partly because i knew that i i was looking for characters that were like me i was looking for something that was relatable and uh, you know unfortunately at the time we were that was right during the height of the aids crisis so you know there was so much fear in i, I think being presented by the media and politicians around homosexuality and I I was looking for other people that necessarily weren't a part of those storylines and it was nice to find those storylines from time to time like you said even if it wasn't you know it wasn't just the, the basis of the story but there was some point you know some part of the movie that I knew that was there uh, and I you know maybe would see something that I read uh, in a newspaper or something like that that mentioned that because it was you know, very uh publicized during that time period so i would look for those movies uh, that was kind of my was your outlet yeah it was my outlet because i didn't come out until quite a few years later uh, but it was kind of my way of finding it yeah it's probably the case still today that there's there's you know in some smaller towns that there are kids still doing the same thing yeah. looking for that obscure well i guess you're probably even more obscure now where do you go get a video yeah right. <laughs> i guess on youtube or, or netflix but who are you know waiting for their parents to go away for the weekend so they can actually watch a gay themed story and see the people that they identify with. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely very important. So you touched on the AIDS thing. You talked about this with Reed last week. Um, you know, in the Celluloid Closet, they talked about the sort of the evolution of gay characters in cinema, going from anywhere being a jester to being um, you know, the dramatic, deathly ending, murderous kind Villain of villain tragic. person, tragic ending. Um, to the AIDS crisis, and then it was about like the 90s that we started to turn into to people. And Reed had mentioned that the, the new trend that he's seeing is that characters and um, couples are almost could almost be genderless. Is that make sense? Inter right? Very interchangeable. Interchangeable. You know, the interchangeable. couple so could the, be an interchangeable. The right characters that, that could be gay, that could be lesbian, that could be transgendered, could be straight, um, but they're very interchangeable. Is that is that something that you're seeing, and is is that a natural evolution of things? I mean, I don't, I mean, I think there's definitely some truth into that. I don't think I'm necessarily, you know, me personally, I, I'm, I'm not a programmer, so I'm probably not watching the, as much come out as often as probably some of what the majority of our programming team or somebody like, you know, read a filmmaker and kind of seeing those. But I, I definitely think that there's getting to be a little bit more of that blurring, that it, it doesn't really matter. But then at the same time, you know, there's going to be a lot of those people that are going, you know, why is, 
you know, why is this person playing, you know, a, a, an ethnic character of, of sorts from, it was maybe based on a book or something like that. You're always going to have that argument. Sure. But I, I think, you know, the idea of diversity and inequality just in the industry itself has obviously been something that has been at the forefront. And that's not the forefront. Probably it needs, it's moving towards the forefront more and more, I think. Um, you know, in discussions, but I think, you know, the biggest thing that I'm going to see just from the, the industry itself is the Academy's big announcement last week of when they're inviting more people to be diverse into the members. Oh, I see that. Yeah, so they invited 638, I think, or 83 new people, 683 people new to come in, and, you know, they were touting, obviously, you know, the gender numbers and, and, and the ethnicity and those types of things. Sure. You all know they got really slammed last year. Yeah. Too. So, you know, I think if, if that does start happening and, and, and that has a, an impact maybe sooner rather than later, then, yeah, maybe there is going to be that trend go faster that doesn't really matter <laughs> if the part's straight or gay anymore and it's just going to be there. And, you know. Right. Yeah, there's a, um, the debate now, too, of, I guess, you said Elsa... There's the, the, some of the fans of Frozen want to have Elsa become a lesbian or be a lesbian. I guess she would have always been. And then you said the Star Wars character, um, what was the character in Star Wars, is well, going to be gay. So there's a petition out there to try to get Star Wars to uh, to have a, a gay uh, character. Uh, but I I did see something on Facebook today. I didn't read the article, but something that said that Star Trek is going to have a gay character and that it's going to be Sulu, which we thought was kind of. Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting, homage. Get, yeah, or <laughs> yeah, paying tribute to George Sakai. So. Yeah, so I mean, what, what do you do? You have any thoughts on on the debate? Because there, there is um, the conservative movement, who's I think, as from their opinion, feels like they've heard enough about the gay things, about their bathrooms, all that kind of stuff, um, and they're they're they seem to have some angst about the idea of there being popular gay characters in cinema, but then. You know, it's also important for the other half of the country to recognize people they identify with. I mean, so yeah, I want. I'm, I guess I don't know where I'm going with that question. I guess I'm just curious. You know, is it a natural form of story writing to to push producers or writers to add gay characters um, to a storyline? Is is that natural, or is that something that they would be forced into? Mm think they're necessarily being forced into. I mean, I, I think that again, I think the the leeway with the studios of, of you know and trying to you know and the festival organizations to really try to help this yeah. stories get told. That I don't think that that is something that that they're being forced to do. I mean, yeah. I think they're probably going in maybe in the other direction, like I said, because of the censorship. It has gone on for so long. I mean, it was like they would say back in the day, <laughs> "Oh, that character's too gay. We can't do anything like that. Or, that actor's gay, but we got to keep him or her closeted. Like, we're not going to do that." So I, I don't, I don't think that they would be forced. I think they would want to tell that story. Yeah, more. I really do. Yeah. It does seem like they're more and more open to it. So I think it's good. It's it's good for cinema to mirror, you know, the demographic of the country. But I think that you, you brought up the whole thing with Elsa. This kind of gets to you know something I've been thinking about. Um, you know, when do you start? You know, when, when are the teachable moments you can have with kids too? Right. And you start yeah. looking at those kind of things. You know, I mean, 
you, you think about you know Sesame Street, you know when they started becoming very inclusive with the types of characters that you know they were representing too. Well, what's the next? What's the next evolution of that for right. kids? And, you know, and that kind of thing. You know, when, when is that? When is that moment? Yeah. Right. So funny to bring up Elsa. That just kind of spurred that thought. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a lot of debate about Elsa, more than I, I think it's kind of ironic, just to say, I don't know, that people spend a lot of time talking about movie characters. <laughs> yeah, I think back to uh, the original Star Wars, you know, and, and, the, and the most recent one, uh, The Force Awakens, and, and having one of the lead characters be an African-American man, now, granted, back back in, uh, in the previous... Uh, the, the original three uh, of the trilogy, uh, there was one individual who was uh, an African-American man, but he played a very minor role. You know, and now you have the, that movement. So I think that there's kind of this, that we see acceptance in, in, this, in society in general for, uh, for LGBT individuals, especially gays and lesbians more so. Um, I think that it's just kind of makes sense for that for individuals to want to see that. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, and I can't remember exactly which one of the individuals we uh, interviewed in one of our past podcasts. I, I think it may have, may have been Jay Allen, um, who was a HR uh, uh, executive was saying that millennials today may not be, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, but if your company does not have a policy yeah, of, uh, of inclusion, they don't want anything to do with you. So it, it's not, not who you are necessarily, it's, it's acceptance of everyone. Well, it, it's funny that you kind of touch upon that. I couldn't agree more, but it also kind of points, you, you asked earlier, we'll go back to membership and nonprofit. That's just another way that we're also seeing the research points to with just the nonprofit world too, that the, that millennial age group is being extremely thoughtful and mindful of, of you know what you're doing and what uh, you know what you're representing and those types of things and you know honor the debates. <laughs> nonprofits would just receive checks of a few zeros, you know, and that would be it. No, I mean it, it, you you have to work hard. Um, I think on all these fronts, they're, they're really being. You know their trust and, and the transparency. I think it is very, very much part of their mindset, and we're seeing that even in our world. Too. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So you know that's a good segue into um, how can people join uh, the C Film Center and become a member, and how can they help otherwise? Yeah. So I mean, again, um, the the membership is we have a different levels that you can do, um, different points of entry. Um, that allows you to have benefits that you can access the film center in so many different ways, take advantage of all the different programming that we have. So again, it, it's very simple. You know, denverfilm.org is, you know, where you can go to start getting information. Um, if you're in, ever in the film center, our box office staff is very knowledgeable as well. They can point you in the right direction. So, you know, it, it's pretty basic in, in that regard. And it just depends on, you know, where you where your heartstrings are, um, yeah. you know, the the work that we do. But I mean, we are educating uh, uh, teen students during the summer. We have a young filmmakers workshop that's going on right now. We're also very tied into the local filmmaking community as well. Because Colorado's got some great film schools. We've got a film commissioner that's working really hard in his office to 
really attract more productions here. So those types of things. So we work in concert with them and providing, you know, educational things for industry professionals. But we also, you know, look to get people again as a point of entry to learn some more about things. Um, you know, we, we have a French language cinema too. Uh, we always want to try to do some intro stuff to, you know, French, you know, French cinema 101 kind of thing. So you may not be thinking that you know everything about it and maybe intimidated by some of the stuff that, that we do so, but we really try to come up with some points of entry. But membership is really a good way to, to do that. And you can just sign up for our weekly newsletter too, which doesn't involve membership. Um, and that's also on the website as well. So you can just stay on top of all the offerings we have and it finally have that light bulb moment. It's like, these guys are doing some good things. I want to help out. Otherwise, volunteering. We're always needing volunteering, especially during uh, the big film festival in, in November. Uh, we need anywhere from 300 to 400 hands on decks to do all different types wow. of things throughout that as well. So nice. signing up at the, at the newsletter alone is a good way to, to get all that information. Right. I think that... Um, that's one of the things that John and I really appreciated about the, the Denver Film Society. When we first started uh, going to movies when, when you were at the Stars location uh, was that the diversity in stories that were being told, everything from, you know, comedy. It, it, you know, I think a lot of people think of, of nonprofit or small art house movie theaters that all they are is bleeding heart dramas and they're going to make me cry and, you don't have anything else besides that. And I think that's the thing that we love is, you know, we've seen love stories. We've seen uh, comedies. We've seen sci-fis there. You know, I mean, I, I think it was through that, uh, the Denver Film Society that we saw George Lucas's very first film that he recorded. I think that was back in like 1967 or 72. I can't remember exactly. And it kind of gave you this kind of four glimpses to what he was doing when he was going to go into, in, into creating the, the star Wars films. And it, it was, it's, it's not just going to a movie. It's a little bit more of an experience. And that's one of the things that John and I really like. And that's what we like putting our money towards is things that are an experience, our experiences. And I will say that we do like the fact that the uh, film center has Henderson bar so we can have a glass of wine <laughs> Oh, that's totally key. Yeah. And if you're a member, you get free popcorn. Right. <laughs> that's also key. Yeah. <laughs> and I, David, you totally, you know, hit on, you know, one of the, again, it goes back to that, like that we're not your average theater too. You know I mean? I think we bring filmmakers in person as well. So, I mean, yes, right. you could see the older stuff you mentioned with George Lucas, but then you'll have somebody like Reed that's going to be here with his film um, in two weeks at, or just others. And, you know, the conversation that that happens more often than not. And then even if it doesn't have an in-person guest, just the, you know, we try to create that space, whether there's an actual planned reception or it is going out into Henderson's lounge after the film. And you just had an experience with some people that you may not even know half the people in there with right. that. And you can have a conversation and just having that, that like-minded, you know, individual sitting in the same room with you having an aha moment or just being educated or inspired. And, you know, that, again, is something that we strive to do on a daily basis. And it is easy to join because um, two years ago I, I subscribed, or, you know, renewed our membership on my cell phone when we, I was in Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> so it's very easy to do. <laughs> so so on the, other, the other quick thing, one more last plug about the film center itself, too. We do have free parking at the garage. Oh, yeah. 
and ample, ample free parking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Patrick, why don't you just give us a, a short synopsis of uh, of the coming up festival, the Cinema Q, one that John and I really, really appreciate and think is very important for our community. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what kind of the gamut of films maybe or, you know, why it's, it might be good for people to go check it out? Sure, sure. Well, um, it's a four-day mini-festival, kind of set up at the beginning, July 21st through the 24th. Um, you know, the, if you're one of those people that really wants to understand the whole festival and the experience that we were just, you know, the experiential things we were talking about, there's a pass that you can buy that can get you into everything for a very affordable rate, or you can buy individual tickets. You know, those are all your basics that, that you can think about. You know, but... What, what we're excited about with Slate of Films, as I mentioned earlier, is just presenting the different types of perspectives that are out there. Um, our opening night film is one that um, I was very pleasantly surprised to see, um, most because, you know, we've had this conversation about, you know, it's called Strike a Pose, which that hits, you know, to the core of us <laughs> fans that are out there. <laughs> you know, but it was a really interesting take on the fact that it actually focuses less about Madonna and really turns the camera around, you know, literally and figuratively on the male backup dancers that were kind of thrust into the spotlight during the Blonde Ambition Tour. Right. And really just kind of shows them then and now type of thing and just the bond that they have. And I think that that tells, I think we can all relate to those types of stories um, no matter what, you know, what where we're coming from on that. And I think that that's that's pretty exciting, but again, there's a lot of Madonna music in it. <laughs> it's all I need. <laughs> you know, um, you know, like you said, they're they're comedies. You know, I think the shorts packages are always one of the fun ones that we can see, kind of just that that real real interesting way that you can do slice of life with you know comedy, um, you know, some, some political stuff. And a little bit of drama, but doing it in such a short amount of time is really impressive when you really kind of boil that down to it. So the shorts package has definitely become something that's been uh, more popular. You know, each year we've had it in the mix. Um, we've got just your good old whodunit kind of sexy kind of comedy thing in one, one of the films that we have. Um, we've got a really interesting uh, one called Women Who Kill. And... Um, I'm not going to spoil it for you what that is, but the title's a little deceiving about what it is, but it's a really interesting modern-day look, I feel like, at you know, a lesbian relationship. It has a uh, you know, kind of interesting way that you go about being in a relationship, not being in a relationship. But again, all those things, I think they're pretty useful in a lot of ways. Uh, we will have the filmmaker in person that night, and uh, the next day we actually have a really great panel um, from, you know, all about lesbian voices in film, uh, which is going to be a really interesting panel on uh, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, excuse me, and, and those types of things. And then uh, we do close it out with one documentary that's a really interesting take on uh, family relationships. It also kind of takes a hard look at you know the AIDS crisis is when it was happening, and again, just uh, some of the family things that uh, of people struggling with during that time frame and their family acceptance and everything. We'll have the Filmmaker and her mother, who is a major major subject in the documentary itself, putting out our film. So, and again, we have several other filmmakers in person too. So, I highly encourage you to to come out and check out one or like all of them, and and I guarantee you'll have a great experience in that. Yeah, we've always had a lot of fun. We've been able to do them 
it's fun to do like a whole four day festival all about movies. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so we're excited to be back. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. We want to thank you for your time. We're excited to be part of um, the festival, the Cinecube Film Festival this year. So um, please definitely uh, join, uh, join the whole festival. And if you can't do the whole thing, please come out for the Shorts Film Festival section on um, Saturday at 4:30. Yeah. Um, and we'll add to we'll add to the show notes for the for the podcast uh, where you can get, find out more information about the film festival and uh, being a member if you'd like. Yeah. So thanks everyone for your time, and we'll um, see you soon on another Queer Money. Bye. Bye. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all my my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so. (laughs) From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.